What's up, guys? Welcome back to Sports Gumbo with Eric Pierre. I'm your host, Drew Lasker. Eric, what's good down there in Austin, Texas, my man? Hook up, man. We're trying to get in the playoff. We're trying to make the playoff. We're back at Texas. 10-1. and one. We back. Texas is back. Well, at least we're here. We got to make the playoff, and then we can say we're back. But we're here. So we're here. Oh, <laughs> oh okay. I mean, when's the last time that Texas has been better than A&M? I mean, I, I can't even – I got to go back to, like, Vince Young days. Well, remember, Texas did uh, – in 09, they – did they did have an undefeated regular season? Won the conference. Colt got hurt. They lost the national championship game. So since then, they've only had one ten win season. I think it was twenty eighteen. They went ten and four when they won their bowl game, beat Georgia when Georgia sat out all the studs. So this is the first time since two thousand nine that they've had a ten win regular season. This is actually the first ten win regular season for Coach Steve Sarkeesian, who I've been critical of. But he has matured as a coach, and so I have to give him his props. Now, we need to beat Oklahoma a little more consistently, Coach Sark. But, Coach, you you got an incredible quarterback room. Your offense line is awesome. You, you can you can stop the run. You can press through the, the passer. There's not a lot of flaws on this Texas team. Now, I don't think they're the best team in the country, but they're legitimate top four, top eight teams. And that's more than what we want here in Austin is to be a contender. Okay, let me ask you this, because when I was in high school, obviously, as we mentioned in uh, episode one, Eric and I went to high school. Eric graduated in 98. I graduated in 2000. But during that time, um, Texas was really dominant and Texas A&M was second fiddle. And then there was a transition happened where kind of, you know, Texas A&M became the best football team in texas what was the what from, from your perspective what was the different the, the difference in regards to the changing of the guard how did a&m was able to overtake texas as the best bat sorry best football team in in the in the state how was how was a&m able to take over it was simply by texas not being good you know if you look at the reality of it okay and i have aggie clients not going to be happy what I say. I got friends that are Aggie fans. But this state is set up for Texas to be the flagship program. It's okay. always been a flagship program. AM has never been good consistently when Texas is good. Yes, I know AM has a lot of money now, thanks to Johnny Manziel era. Um, you know, they have a bigger alumni base, they got a lot of money. But when Texas is rolling, AM is not as good. AM being bad right now and Texas being really good is a problem. They just fired Jimbo Fisher and paid $77 million to tell him bye-bye. I I have clients that wish to pay me $75 million to go bye-bye. I'd gladly do it. But that's um, crazy. <laughs> I know, right? No offsets. No offsets. But Texas is the flagship program. As you know, Drew, living in the state, most athletes growing up would pick We'll pick, in particular, out of the big cities, you talk about football, basketball, out of the two schools, they'll pick Texas over A&M. Wow. I mean, you you start off the podcast controversial, man. You know there's a split when it comes to A&M and when it comes to Texas in our in our state. But we'll, well, let's stay on A&M real quick because you just talked about that. Jimbo Fisher, they paid him $78 million to go away. 
for those fans that's listening out there. He said goodbye to AM. He's singing that right now, all the way to the bank. I mean, who's gonna who's gonna say <laughs> no to that? Like, I mean, I'll be on the first thing smoking, right? I'll make sure I'm on a private jet. But where does it where do they get that type of money from? Where is that type of money lying around where the university has that is at his exposal to be able to tell someone, hey, here you go, go home. Okay. That's a great question. So uh, A&M and the press, uh, so according to some records out there, now I could be wrong on some numbers I'm given. So Texas A&M generates annually $200 million or more of revenue, most of it attributed to the football program, okay? So they have a very large donor base. And also the uh, Texas A&M University has an endowment of at least $13 billion. Now what's key about that is that the first payment Jimbo's buyout is due to about 60 days to 20 million and the rest is spread out over five to six years, but it's coming from large donors. In fact, one of A&M's largest donors is a Houston attorney, Tony Busby. And for those of you sports fans, you're wondering, you've heard that name. He was the attorney that represented all the women that went after Deshaun Watson. It was Tony Busby yep. that represented Deshaun Watson. Tony Busby is one of the most powerful alum at Texas A&M when it comes to sports. He is one of the wealthiest Texans in the state. He has a lot of pull. So he's put a lot of money. He's got other rich friends put a lot of money. That's how they're doing this. And just to educate you, since I'm a CPA, a lot of times these universities, whether it's A&M or Texas or Ohio State, how do you entice rich people to give large sums of money? The answer is, is that most of these athletic programs have a foundation, okay? So you donate to the foundation. Texas A&M's is the 12th man foundation. So you can donate millions of dollars to get season tickets. You get to write off most of that money. You can't write it off all the season ticket. So they're able to generate write-offs for these rich people through donations to the foundation. Then the foundation takes the money and feeds the athletic department. Wow, that's that's really interesting. And I think you just tackled that question because I was just about to ask you, why would an alum be persuaded to donate money? Well, not not why, because obviously you're giving back to uh, they want to win. It helps you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say, what reason why anyone would donate large sums of money? Are you saying, okay, let me ask you this: If you are a wealthy person and you are donating money to a university. Are you donating money to the university so the athletic team can be better or are you doing it for a tax write-off? Well, it depends on each person. I mean, you know, Drew, you grew up in the state, you know, around Thanksgiving time growing up, it was bragging rights, you know, when Texas and A&M lined up to play. And as you know, living in Houston, you know, our our city, our hometown is divided. Uh, our part of Houston has more AM fans because Texas AM is one hour away from our hometown of Katy, Texas. So there's a lot yep. more Aggies there. But different parts of Houston's got a lot of Longhorns, and a lot of them are in business together. And a lot of rich people spend money to have bragging rights. Okay. And so, and also does help on their lower their taxes. Um, you can you can for cash donations, you can write off up to 60%. Of, of your adjusted gross income or AGI this year. So for some rich people that are making 30, 40, 100 million, 
they could theoretically donate sixty million in one shot and get sixty million of a hundred million dollars of taxable income written off. And they'd rather give that money to their school to compete and beat their rivals so they can tell their buddy on the yacht, my school's better than yours. Wow. Well, that's that's a great education lesson there. Man, to be able to donate $60 million. I mean, there's some people out there who don't have 60 bucks in, in order to give $60 million is incredible. Yeah, I mean, Phil Knight has given hundreds of millions of dollars to University of Oregon um, as a result of success with Nike, by the way. And Oregon's become a power. And in fact, a school who uh, where a billionaire changed the fortune, Oklahoma State, T. Boone Pickens, when he was alive, gave millions upon millions to help elevate Oklahoma State's brand, even though Oklahoma State didn't beat Oklahoma that much on the field, but they started being more competitive on the field. And there was a time when Oklahoma State, towards the end of Texas run in Big 12, Oklahoma State started beating Texas regularly. And it was because T. Boone Pickens was donating a lot of money to the school, and then they could upgrade their facilities and, you know, send bagmen before NIL was legal. They were bagmen. <laughs> Basically, you know, bagmen, y'all, they literally put ba uh, bags of cash and bags like HEB bags like this and drop it off mysteriously at your door and tell you to come to, to the school that they want you to go to. Well, that transition us perfectly into the topic we want to discuss today here on Sports Gumbo. Like we mentioned to you guys in episode one, uh, we're going to talk on a number of topics that Eric is going to be uh, leading us in. But uh, the topic of discussion for today is we want to focus on NIL, and this is a perfect transition. So, Eric, obviously, um, you talked about how back in the 90s, the 80s, you know, it was cash in hand or white envelopes, uh, like we used to say. But now, you know, college athletes can legally be paid, uh, which is something that, you know, a former athlete like myself, and I think you would agree with me, is something that we think is is warranted for the for everything that they bring the university. And there'll be some people out there saying, well, you're getting an education and that's enough. Hey, just stop it right there. Okay. So let's, <laughs> let's, let's, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So since we were on the topic of, of football, the top 10 um, earners in the NIL are football players with one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of them being football players. So I'm going to read you out this list and I want you to tell me, is there anybody on this list, this top 10 that surprises you? Okay. So, uh, at number two, we have Shador Sanders at number four, Arch Manning, number five, Caleb Williams, number six, Travis Hunter, number eight, Spencer Rattler, number nine, Bo Nix, and number 10, Jaden Daniels from LSU. Uh, Rattler surprises me because his team hasn't done anything the last few years since he left Oklahoma. Right. Okay. That's the one that surprises me that he's still getting big dollars. Yeah. Well, this is what surprised me since you got a Longhorn hat on top of your head that Arch Manning is in the top five and he's a backup quarterback. How does that work? His last name is Manning. Any more questions? <laughs> I mean, I mean, he's the third string. He's the third. He's the QB three. He's QB three right now. Quinn Ewers is number one, and then Malik Murphy 
is number two, and then Arch is number three. But I think a lot of people are betting on that Arch will be starting next year. But here's a problem. Quinn Ewers may be coming back to University of Texas, and Quinn may not be a top 10, but he should be a top 20, top 30 NIL. He's making millions of dollars out here in Austin. And if he's not going to be a first-round quarterback, he has a chance to make millions of dollars being a starter, and Arch is likely to probably transfer in that scenario. But, hey, you know, I wish I could be a backup getting millions of dollars. It's not a bad life. I mean, it's not a bad life at all. But we don't want to assume that everyone, all of our listeners – one thing that we want to do on the Sports Gumbo is we want to make sure that we educate for, so, you know, for our young listeners out there. Uh, you know, Eric, kind of just define exactly what an NIL is and what it represents. Okay. So NIL is basically stands for name, image, and likeness. And until a couple years ago, players were not allowed to accept money if they were a scholarship athlete to accept money while competing. And so the Supreme Court in 2021 opened the door by saying that that rule the NCAA had was, again, it was violated the anti-Sherman trust, anti-trust law, basically saying you're prohibit, prohibiting commerce. Now, mm-hmm. the NCAA does not allow – now. so the NCAA allows them to get NIL, but the university cannot be the one – signing a contract with the player. It could be third parties. So what I find interesting is that the universities are still collecting a lot of money and are not giving any of it to the players. They're asking their donors, instead of donating money to the school, now they're asking big donors to go buy recruits with that money under NIL instead of, you know, remember, bagmen. So we have bagmen, okay, you know, bags. Now, we use these to wire money legally through LLCs. That's the only thing that changed. But players are not getting any revenue share from the billions of dollars of TV contracts. Yes, the NCAA is not a charitable organization. They have multiple, they have one billion dollar, they have a few billion dollar contracts for football. They have one with Turner and CBS for the NCAA men's basketball tournament. And the players cannot get a dime of it right now. So you're saying not only should athletes have the freedom to make name, make, sorry, make money off their name and likeness. They also should get a cut from TV deals as well. Yes, they do in the pros. I mean, by the way, y'all, not only with my ex athlete, I was a, I was a tutor at Stephen F. Austin state university. I was an athletic tutor and I tutored, basketball, football, I tutored uh, women, uh, female athletes. And what I can tell you is that they're not real students. They don't get to pick their schedules like the rest of us did in college. Their first priority is to the sport. The coaches are picking their classes. Most of the coaches pick most of their majors. Um, Most of their times before devoted to the sport. And what's hypocritical is that they're not allowed to have jobs during a regular season, but yet – you can be a kid taking 18, 20 hours of school and have a full-time job or run a business from your dorm, and the school will not kick you out for that as long as you pay the tuition. But if a kid wants to have a part-time job while playing sports to take care of himself, him or herself and the family, um, you can be kicked out, kicked out of the program. But they're selling your jersey in the stands. 
they're uh, they're selling pictures with your your image on it. You know, people are not going. Look, I love I like Texas, but I don't go watching Texas Longhorns because of I'm not there. So, oh man, I want to see what Coach Steve Sarkeesian's wearing on sidelines today. I want to see what play call he's going to call. No, I'm watching A.D. <laughs> Mitchell, Quinn Ewers, Jonathan Brooks, Bijan Robinson. I did not watch University of Texas to see Mac, you know, standing like this in the sideline and watching him on his headphones. I was watching Vince Young, not Mac Brown. Yeah, that's a great point. We don't talk about, hey, do you remember the jacket uh, Mac Brown wore when they hoisted the trophy? At the Rose Bowl? Is that what we talk about? We talk about Vince Young scoring that touchdown and complete the comeback. What do we talk about? Help me out, somebody. I mean, well, you ain't got to tell me twice. I mean, you speaking to a former athlete, and sometimes I get a little bit of envious of this NIL. I'm, I'm you know, I'm an advocate for it. I'm excited that these guys get to make money um, off themselves because sometimes mm -hmm. I think about, you know, how much more time I could have spent on my game in college because every summer of my college career, I spent working, you know, because I had to put money in my pocket. You know, I was living out in, you know, I'm from Texas, went to school yeah. in San Diego. And, you know, I wanted to be able to go out and buy myself some uh, a corny side of burrito, you know what I mean? Or go to Tijuana and party a little bit. So, um, oh you know, yeah, I spent most I Street spent most tacos, of my summers baby. working, man. Oh man, yeah, they, yeah. So uh, you know, I'm happy that these guys get to get to uh, take advantage of that. But you mentioned something off air about um, about Boise State. No, it's actually University of Utah. Okay, right. So I mean, I mean it, it, they kind of feel similar. They're both in the middle of nowhere. So, sorry if you're fanning the one, but. No one can no, – I mean, nobody can tell me what city the University of Utah is right now. Anyway, it's a fine football program. Um, so, as you know, there is a NIL deal where all 85 scholarship members of the University of Utah football team all receive Dodge Ram 1500 trucks. Okay? Wow. Um and in, in an article in a newsletter written by Darren Heitner, who I've interviewed before, it's been a long time. I don't know if we'd be able to get a hold of him these days because he's super busy. There is a potential lawsuit over this because the female athletes are claiming that this could be a Title IX claim. And Title IX was written in law to where you had to have equal sports for men and women. Um, and right. in fact, there's a quote that says almost every female student athlete at Utah appears to have an extremely strong title nine claim female student athletes at Utah need to hold the school accountable. No one else will do it. The history of title nine has shown that women don't get equality unless they're willing to fight for it. I don't think the question is if, a, is if a claim will be brought in the NIL space, the question is when, and then what will be the fallout? So. It seems to be that there are people out there. And this is where I better be very careful, but you know I got to keep 100. Where this is a problem as an entrepreneur, or business person, I have a problem with because it's not up. To, it should not be law to decide who, what business values 
what they value and who they choose to endorse, their dealership, their business, that should be a freedom of choice, right? And so this gets into what some, you know, some people will say this is considered affirmative action. Um, this gets to some really sticky areas because here's the thing. Um, Angel Reese got a shoe deal with Reebok. Pay, yeah. uh, there are women ballplayers that have gotten shoe deals that some male ballplayers have not. But when they get – so when women get shoe deals, are we saying for every – Male shoe deal. Now we have to female for every truck deal. This is if this is this is a slippery slope. Um, most women's sports do not generate the revenue that men do. It, this is not me being a sexist. This is me stating facts. Okay. Most schools, the football programs generate a substantial amount of money. Now there are some exceptions. You know, University of Connecticut, the women's program is clear number one. The women's program is bigger than the men's program at Connecticut, right? And there are schools where the women's program are generating millions of dollars. And at those programs, or even women's gymnastics, we have gymnasts in college making millions of dollars, more than some of the top football players um, that we've named. So I, I don't like this. Um, the NCAA has done a bad job of regulating the sport. Uh, I wish the NCAA was abolished. I think I think college football needs to be on its own. It's its own animal. They need to create their own um, league. And, um, you know, because they only play once a week, there's so much money, and they can have the conferences and the rest of the sports should be regional because it doesn't make sense for UCLA to be in the, in the uh, Big Ten, but then UCLA students have to fly all the way out to Penn State on a Tuesday night to play a basketball game or a soccer match. That that doesn't make sense. Football, they travel on the weekday before. That's the weekend. They can get back in time to go to class. That makes more sense. But the idea that you're telling me that it, – that it, so if I'm a player and, I, and somebody wants to give me a Lamborghini now, I can't get it unless my female counterpart could get one. But if my female counterpart is not as good as her sport as I am, then I'm being punished. Yeah, I, I think it's a very slippery slope. I think, um, yeah, that's a tough one there. I mean, obviously you're a CPA, so, you know, your job on this podcast is to educate us all. And I just wanted to, to unpack the um, the purpose of this for you said it was Ram, right? I mean, sorry, Dodge, right? It was a Dodge, yeah. I Dodge. prefer Silverado okay, so, personally, but yeah, so, it's okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, well, I'm just doing the math in my head. You said it was 85 players. Let's assume that the trucks are 40K each. You're talking about Dodge basically uh, riding off $3.5 So, again, you it's know. correct. What's the purpose for this for Dodge? Is this for is this a uh, a marketing ploy? Is this a write off? Why would an organization like Dodge do something like this? Many reasons. One, it's going to be marketing because for most companies, NIL is advertising, right? It, in college, it's NIL, but it's no different in the professional world. If a company hires, you know, the Kardashians to endorse their brand. That's an NIL deal. You just don't call it NIL. 
you just call it influencing or endorsement, right? Michael Jordan, his contract with Nike is a NIL deal. They're using his name, image, like just a jump man. It's a picture of him. Now, I believe Nike owns most of it, and he gets royalties, you know, on his shoes, right? Shaquille O'Neal, the dunk, he actually owns the, the Duck Man logo. I also believe Marshawn Lynch owns his. But most deals, when you endorse a product or NIL, their marketing is just in college, they're specific called NIL because college kids were not allowed to make money off their name, image, and likeness. But every, every grown person in the world outside college can do that. So it's going to be for marketing. And then again, with college sports, some of these big businesses do it because it's a, it's a way to also buy, you know, loyalty from a, from athletes. Cause you know, we called it, we have a lot of, a lot of wealthy people are what we, some of us called jock sniffers and they love being around athletes because they were not good athletes themselves. Most of them. Now some of these rich people were good athletes, but it couldn't quite make it to high, highest level. And so it gives them access to the program and access to these players. And so, you know, everybody's intentions are different. I can't explain. I personally wouldn't, you know, pay for hundreds of vehicles for a college uh, team to use. I, You know, if I wanted to influence, I'd find, you know, three or five really good players, bet on them making the pros, get an NIL deal, and have to be my client and be able to sell other financial services later. But that's just me. Everybody does their business differently. I've not – I actually thought about doing an NIL deal, but I didn't like um, – there are some people I was going to have to deal with that I didn't want to do business with. And I don't want to name drop because they'd be <laughs> upset if I said their name like that. But I could get it – I could get it. I have. I mean, and by the way, Drew, not every NIL deal is millions of dollars. There's some NIL deals um, – where you could get for a few thousand a month, and I have that. I can have some of these top players for a few thousand dollars a month. Talk about my uh, my accounting firm right now, my tax firm right now. That's e that's an easy check for me to write. I just don't want to deal with their. Uh, and I don't mind helping the player, but I don't want to deal with their agents and their handlers. That's why I don't get involved in that. Makes sense. Well, guys, that that's these are the type of topics that you know Eric is going to be discussing here on Sports Gumbo. And um, one thing that we also want to do uh, as we get ready to sign off, and um, I'm actually, uh, you know, this is episode two, and this is something Eric and I haven't discussed, and so he's reacting to this. Is I want you to 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 always finish the pod with a with a tax tip for our listeners out there. I mean, it's, it's the beginning of December. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. what, what can you leave us with one tax tip? Okay. I'm going to take off my hat for this. So that now, you know, in business, mode, let's put on the glasses and look like the CPA for a second. <laughs> Hope they're not too dirty. All right. <laughs> all right. So now y'all see what I look like at business meetings. I have a blazer here, but we don't have to do all that. It's still sports. So entrepreneurs, you're looking for some last-minute year-end write-offs. <laughs> wow, I guess I got the lights dimming down, so that's how you know the show's almost over. They're not kicking me out. We pay the light bills just to have it moved. Um, anyway, so you're looking for some last-minute write-offs, and you're about to take a trip for the holidays. You can write those trips off. Now, to do that, there has to be a structure, right, because the IRS has a thing called 
substance over form doctrine. So I've seen, I don't want to name this CPA, but there's a black CPA who's very flashy and says, oh, you can travel somewhere, meet for an hour, write that whole day off. No, you need to show that you spent at least, you know, three, four, five hours a day meeting. But did you know in your company, you can put your family members on your board. You can put your significant other on the board. And you can have board meetings in places like Paris or SoCal or South Florida. Um, I'm going to Vegas. And by the way, uh, in Las Vegas, some of the people I meet are actually business partners of mine. I actually have it documented. So uh, then you need to have an agenda to show that you discussed certain things and have meetings. And if you can show that, if you're audited, then you're good. But you don't just go, hey, I'm just going to go fly to Dubai and me and my family can meet for an hour and write that off. Wrong. You got to actually meet for a few hours a day. By the way, beginning this year, me and my partners, we had meetings in Cabo. We spent about four or five hours a day meeting in conference room and then Yes, we did have a good time at the resort in town, but I actually have documented agendas. I have slideshows and videos to prove that we had legitimate meetings talking about legitimate business. So you have to make it legitimate or at least give the, the specter of legitimacy. I am not saying that you cheat on your taxes. I'm just telling you ways that you can legally document and corroborate that you had legitimate meetings while traveling with your family, your loved ones during the holidays. If you need help, you can DM me and I'll charge you a consultation and I can tell you more. But what I'm saying is not illegal. It Wealthy people do it all the time. In fact, some wealthy people, wealthy clients of mine didn't even know that he could put his wife on his board, even though he already puts his wife as a W-2. He didn't know that he could put his kids on the board and in-laws even though that he's in business with his in-laws on real estate transactions. So a lot of people don't know this. So you just have to make it um, kind of like in Ocean's, one of the Ocean 11 movies, make it look good. Well, there's ways to make it look good and make it stand on its head. But don't go somewhere, have me for an hour, play the rest of the day, and then you're not, you can't prove that you actually spoke about business. You can't do that. That's a no-no. But the legitimate ways to write enough year-end travel um, so that's my tax tip for today. And there you go, guys. I mean, I think Eric, I think I'm going to go out there and hop on uh kayak.com and uh, spin the yes. wheel and see where it takes me and make sure that I get me a business meeting somewhere hot because it's cold here in the UK, but appreciate that. Appreciate all our listeners out there. Make sure you come Ibiza, back. baby. Ibiza, 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 you go to Ibiza. <laughs> And, and you know, remember, it, put I, your wife on your company board. Yeah. See? You know what? See? You, you got my you got my wheels spinning, guys. But again, that's sports gumbo <laughs> for the week. Make sure you guys come back and check us out. Eric, where can the people find you? All right. Well, I'm not hard to find in Austin. Not many black people, particularly tall black guys like me. But if you're talking about you're probably talking social media, uh, Instagram, I am your favorite CPA. And on Twitter, your fave CPA. Um, if you Google Eric Pierre CPA, you will find me that way as well. If you're not sure, you know, sp spelling, 
And Pierre is P-I-E-R-R-E, if you get right, Eric, Pierre, C-P-A. On Google, you'll find all kinds of content out there about me. So I'm not hard to find. There we go, guys. Make sure you subscribe, like, and comment. And uh, also make sure you head to PierreAccounting.com for all your tax uh, tips and uh, inquiries. And until then, guys, we'll see you guys next week. Have a good one.